Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode number 222. Upgrade this week is brought to you by Away, Pingdom, and Luna Display. I am Jason Snell, not Mike Hurley. You can tell because I'm not English. Uh, but I'm hosting because Mike is on assignment this week. And instead, I have a special guest co-host. It is John Syracuse. You may know him from such podcast as Reconcilable Differences right here on Relay FM, Robot or Not on The Incomparable, and what's this? Accidental Tech Podcast. Hmm, that sounds interesting. Uh, hi, John. Hello, Jason. I just noticed that this is episode 222. I'm really excited to get a... Uh... A run of twos. But nobody wants to talk about numerology, John. I do. I really want to talk about it, but that's not the premise of the show. Uh, So let's talk about Snell Talk, the question that's not about anything that Mike insists on asking me at the beginning (laughs) of every show. And I thought maybe we could talk about... both of us could answer this question. Imagine that. Like, we'll see. We'll see. It is from Technotional, not his real name, probably. Um... And Technotional asks, what's the oldest thing you own or is in your home? And more judgmentally, why is it there? (laughs) Well, I was super confused by this question in in the notes. Let me tell you why. First of all, I thought Technotional was trying to say, what's the oldest thing in your house related to technology or something? Because this is a technology podcast, but technotional is not really a word. And I'm like, is this a segment that I just don't know about? No, it's just the name of the the entity that has this the the <laughs> sentient nebula that sent us in this yeah. question. It's a pocket so now dimension. I have to rethink the whole question sentient because it's not pocket dimension. Yeah, it's it's not the oldest technology product or whatever, which is what I was thinking, like the oldest computer, oldest, you know, electronic thing or whatever, but like like the oldest thing. Thing. So I'll let you go first and while you, I scramble And you live in Massachusetts. For all I know, your house is the oldest thing. Although it's not mm-hmm. in your house, it is your house. But mm-hmm. um, Okay, so the oldest thing in my house, and there's some, there's some good layers here. Uh, we have an upright piano. It is a, for those, <laughs> I imagine there are probably even p- piano podcasts out there. For those piano nerds who are listening in, it is a Kanabe upright piano from 1892. And it was restored in the 70s. Um, my family bought it from the person who restored it. So it's not a family heirloom. It hasn't been in my family since 1892 or anything like that. But it was restored in the in the late 70s. And my parents bought it from the restorer. And the most, I would say, notable, interesting thing about it is that when they restored it, they decided to make it, to install in it a computerized player piano system. So it is a player piano in addition to being a regular piano. But um, you notice I said computerized, and I also said late 70s. <laughs> it has inside it a circuit board from the late 70s, a system called Piano Quarter. It used to have a cassette tape deck underneath the far right edge that you could rotate out and pop in a cassette and play the the cassette was a data cassette if you played it in a regular audio player it made this hideous uh sounding noise like data tapes of the period because you had cassette drives on computers and stuff like that too but when you played it in this cassette deck that was attached to the player system you flipped flip on the switch there'd be a little spark it's always scary um and it would it would take off and it would play and and we had a christmas cassette that my dad would just play and these cassettes are like 15 i think they were double speed i think it was like 15 minutes on a side and he would just like 15 minutes flip it over 15 minutes flip it over and that that music would just run forever um does it still work the answer is yes shockingly the player 
technology and it still works. But about 10 years ago, maybe more, it might be more like 15 years ago now, you always drop a decade. That's what Merlin taught me. Um, the uh, I replaced it with, uh, I replaced the cassette deck with, uh, you could basically, there was a guy on the internet who was selling these conversion kits where you pop off the bottom of the piano and pull out the cassette deck thing and you could plug in, uh, it's a wireless transmitter. It's a wireless audio transmitter. Um, and that's the receiver side and the sender side. And it, it was, it was basically patched so that it would plug, it was plug compatible with where the, uh, cassette deck used to feed in. And the sender is a USB audio transmitter, audio standard USB audio device. And that guy who had this hardware setup also had literally every tape that they ever made for that system converted into MP3s that you could play in iTunes and just essentially airplay to a player piano. And it totally works to this day, although I don't use it that often. But I will at Christmas time, which we're just about to start decorating uh, this week, uh, I will get that 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 tape that i have committed to memory because my dad played it endlessly during the holidays um so little 70s tech little 2000s tech in a piano from 1892 and that's my answer what about did you John? Your, did your piano from the 1800s get upgraded for airplay too or no uh no it's still using well it's still it still sadly has to use this only it's not quite new enough to be considered vintage like the uh, airport express so mm-hmm. uh, but it, it does require this proprietary uh, usb uh, audio transmitter thing but fortunately usb will be with us forever and it just shows up as a standard audio device so it doesn't require the guy who sold it like he had this whole thing where it was like in winamp and you were supposed to use winamp with it and all of that and i said i'm on a mac and i could run winamp in emulation but i'd really rather not and he said oh i can just send you the audio file version the mp3 version instead of the because he was using like a midi translator or something like that because he had he had taken all the tapes and like converted them back to their source like data mm-hmm. he, he knew the data format that they were in it's pretty amazing that this guy did this and uh, and i think he was like getting his master's degree or something in mechanical musical instruments or something it was all part of this thing and i just kind of fell into it but it works it's pretty amazing and so yeah i have a, i have a special custom itunes library on my server the separate library that is just all the beeps and and chirps of the uh of the piano quarter playback you could have like a creepy reenactment of westworld going on in your house you've got this uh oh yeah it's it's totally jangly piano the only the only problem is that um i don't have any Radiohead because it's from the late 70s <laughs> early 80s that guy's probably got updated tapes yeah, yeah there there is a command line utility that you can run that'll convert midi files into piano quarter files but it, it just doesn't it really only sounds good when it's the original tapes that they um because it it before i switched it out you could put a blank cassette in it and press play and record and to play on the piano and it would record it which is kind of mind-blowing um and that's how they made all the tapes is they they were recording it on a you know device that was using this system and the midi conversions that i tried sounded okay but they were never a match for the kind of uh uh piano performances that they got on these things well that's pretty neat and i definitely don't have anything a i don't have anything that old and b i don't have anything that interesting uh the oldest thing in my house is probably a mouse turd uh because <laughs> my house is house is from the 30s and it's yeah. you know full of mouse turds that, that's like sure when we th- opened up the wall to redo to the, the doorway to the garage 
Um, and we found a can of, of beer, an open, empty Burgermeister beer can that was presumably from the people who built the house in the in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's probably old, but that doesn't really count as like a thing that I own or whatever. Right. I, I do own that. Technically. Master, technically. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I'm probably going to go with, like, so my uh, grandparents passed away many years ago. We uh, sort of collectively, uh, like grandchildren, raided their house uh, of all the things that nobody wanted. Right. It's so all the, all the, you know. Uh, belongings and cherished belongings go out to the siblings so on and so forth and eventually there's nothing left that anyone wants and so that's when the grandchildren get to come in and go through grandma and grandpa's beautiful picturesque uh, sort of frozen in time levittown suburban house i'm not going to say unmodified because that generation when they got these houses they all did stuff to the house my grandfather put like a, a back uh back porch thing and extended the roof and did a bunch of stuff to the house right so it wasn't original original None of them were, but it was frozen in amber compared to, like, the neighboring houses and the inside as well. If I could have taken the whole house with me, I would have. Um, but I couldn't do that, so I had to, you know, what what's left that nobody wants? And what I ended up taking was a bunch of kitchen utensils that I remember from, like, going over to my grandmother's house for, you know, dinner on, on weekends. Uh, she only lived, like, 20 minutes away from us and used to go over there a lot. So I have some wooden spoons. I have a, like, tin funnel. Uh, you know, a bunch of kitchen mm-hmm. supplies that are all older than me, probably older than my parents. So one of those things surely wins as the oldest uh, sort of possession in my home. That's nice. That's nice. I have, um, when my grandmother died, she had a whole bunch of um, glass paperweights. And I remember going to the, I forget where, probably my uncle's house. There was a kind of a collection. They're like, yeah, we've got, we've got a bunch of them. Some, they'd already been raided a little bit, but we've got a bunch of them if you want to take it. And I remember, um, I remember one of them was this, or there were a couple that I remember. There's this glass turtle and there was another one that was this sort of pink seashelly kind of thing. And I have both of those. And it's just, it's a nice little thing. I always think of my grandmother when I look at those. Um, and then I realized I also have, um, uh, my wife was talking about this the other day because she really likes the fact that we have my mom's KitchenAid mixer. When she, when my parents moved into a, a motor home, they had no need for heavy appliances anymore, and we got the KitchenAid mixer. We had registered for one when we got married, and they were too expensive. We were we were in our early twenties. Nobody we knew had the money for a KitchenAid mixer. Um, but we ended up getting the one that my mom bought in the you know late seventies. It's avocado green it's so old that that the color it is has come back into fashion <laughs> so that's it's gone gone a whole cycle but it still works great so we you know i made sweet potato pie with it like for thanksgiving this year it's great old tech some old tech survives i it, it's funny um some some old tech really lasts and stands the test of time mm-hmm. i think maybe they were designed to last like that yep. circuit board and that piano i it blows my mind that it's still functional all this time later 40 years later but it is well i mean the the environment of a piano is not subject to undue stresses and hopefully yeah. uh, wild swings in temperature and everything was so big and chunky back then like the traces on the board are probably like you know the thickness of pencil lead and yeah. they're just the chips are huge it's just gargantuan right so even if there's a little bit of corrosion and moisture or whatever it takes a lot to uh, really damage it yeah i think so and then where it's been in that piano you're right like we don't store the we don't the piano doesn't live in the in the damp cold part of the house right and, and you're in california everything yeah. just is it's preserved true. out there yeah. too it's so. our streets our streets are fine too that's mm-hmm. it's uh it's just fine all right we do have a few follow-up items before we get into uh, the topic believe it or not old technology was not our topic uh but thank you to technotional 
the the entity who supplied our Snell Talk question. I want to remind everybody the Upgradies uh, nominations and votes are still going on. I'll put a link in the show notes again. Uh, this will be the fifth annual. Mike really loves it when we use annual things for uh, for stuff on Upgrade. So the fifth annual Upgradies uh, voting will close on Christmas Eve. And then that show will come out on, uh, I think, New Year's Eve. So that'll be really exciting. Uh, hundreds of votes already, but uh, plenty of time to still get your votes in the next few weeks. Um, I had a couple follow-out items because basically I wanted to... So here's the thing, John. I listen to ATP. If I'm not listening live, I listen as soon as it comes out. And it, you know, I know all you guys and... And that just adds even more frustration to the fact that you can't hear me when I'm talking back to your podcast. Um, but I've got what you. the chat room is for. Yeah, Get in there. it's true. It's true. Well, when I'm cooking dinner, I, I, it's harder to be in the chat room. Usually I'm listening to you when I'm listening live. I'm actually cooking dinner. And then I send pictures of what I'm cooking to, to Casey. You could probably make some kind of series shortcut so that you could just yell things into the air while you're cooking that'll end <laughs> up in the chat room. That's right. <laughs> that's a, actually that's an interesting idea some emoji i'll just communicate via emoji in the chat room um i do have some follow-up so one of the things you guys were talking about was about um sleep shutdown and sort of a mac idle techniques that people have and i i was fascinated by this because I so I have an iMac Pro at my desk and before that I had a 5K iMac. The whole time I've been well after like the first couple of months in in this office full time I bought an iMac a 5K iMac when those came out and then an iMac Pro. Um I at the end of the day when I'm not going to be coming back in I'm going to close the door and I'm done for the day. I hold down the option key and move up to the Apple menu and I choose shut down. <laughs> And my computer shuts off and that, and then I walk away and I was fascinated to hear all of the stories of putting your computer to sleep or leaving it on. I get why Casey leaves it on. That's why I have a server is so I don't have to leave my iMac on to run Plex. But uh, you, you made a case for putting your computer to sleep instead of shutting it down. Um, and I guess this is the point where you judge me. So I wasn't really making a case for putting it to sleep. Like to, to give a little more context here for the younger people listening, for all, all the oldsters, we remember computers as a thing that existed in your house in a, in a dedicated single place, sometimes called the computer room. And when you wanted to use it, you went into that room, you turned the computer on, mm-hmm. you used it, and when you were done using it, you turned the computer off and you left the room. To leave the room with the computer on would be like leaving the light on. Like there, these com- computers didn't sleep. Right. There was no no sleep mode or anything like that. You, you they're on when you're using them, and they're off when you're not using them. And this, you know, if you want to go back far enough, it's before there was any kind of shutdown process. Like, well, I'm done, and you'd flick the switch and turn the thing off. And again, if you didn't, if you left the room, it's like you forgot to turn the computer off. It would be like leaving a blaring spotlight on. It was right. just great, wasteful. So lots lots of people have habits formed in, in those times, and you know, or similar habits for light switches or anything else faucets stuff like that they're just like well when you're done using it you get up and leave you turn the thing on shut the thing off or whatever on atp what i was mostly saying is if those are your habits and you've never thought about the fact that all modern macs have some way that they can sleep 
that you should give it a try. Now, you're not, I'm, I'm not speaking to you when I'm doing that segment. You know about sleep. It's like, you don't need to know anything about Like, it was just for the people who it hadn't occurred to them that things had changed or that they had, they had built habits based on other things that are not like modern computers. One of the examples I gave was uh, people who have iOS devices, iPhones, you know, I've never seen an Apple Watch, but iPhones or iPads or whatever. And when they're done using their iPhone or their iPad, they will hard power down the thing. Like, just hold down the power button, slide that little red slider, shut it yeah, all the way down. that's madness, madness, madness. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, like, check my email again, and they'll hit the power button, and the white Apple logo mm-hmm. will appear, and they'll wait for their iPad to boot, and they'll check it. And I, I know real people in the real world who do this, and I've not been able to convince them not to do it. And I think it has to be just be based on those type of habits of, like, a light, light bulb or whatever. So what I was basically saying is, if you've never tried it, if you've never tried not shutting down your computer, but just putting it to sleep consider trying it huh. now i don't know if you've this is something you've tried obviously you know about it but i don't know if it's something you've tried and rejected but i find that it is a big upgrade because mm. the computers are basically silent when they're off and sure, yes they totally. do sip some small amount of power but it's not that bad and when you want to use it you just come up to it and you hit the space bar and it's ready to go right where you left off yeah so my reasoning so i i used a laptop as my primary for a long time and so obviously it would be sleeping it would that would be it's state right you close it it goes to sleep but why but why is that obvious it's only because that's what happens when you close it yeah well it's because, because you could shut down your laptop oh, at the that's end of the true day too. that's true i i i feel like yeah that that would be i mean it's such a natural thing to close it when you're not using it that that that's the trick right if you talk about the ceremony of turning off a light switch uh, closing mm-hmm. a laptop is the ceremony i feel like so you don't need to do shut down or whatever you just close the laptop but with the iMac, here's my rationale. I think it's a couple of things that are fitting in. Part of it is ceremony, which is I kind of like the idea that when I'm done at the end of the day and I'm basically signing out, um, I actually am placing a slight barrier to me coming back out and going back to work, which is I shut down the computer. I had that happen this weekend where I was going to come out here and look at something really quick. And I was like, oh, I shut it down, didn't I? Well, forget it. I'll just look on the iPad. And I just kind of like blew it off. So I think part of it is the ceremony of like, I'm done for the day. I'm not going to come back in here. This is it. Like a little bit of a barrier to going back to work. I'm going to go out in the other room, going to be with my family. Um, Part of it is that I've got a, uh, or do I? I don't anymore. I had for a while a voltage sensing power strip strip that would turn off some other devices when um when i turn this off actually no i do still have that Uh, when i turn the computer off and i don't know if that will work with sleep or not but basically like a couple other things um like my ipod hi-fi that i use as an external speaker and that thing will just stay on forever and when nothing is plugged into it it emits a slight hum and it's super annoying. But when I <laughs> shut doesn't sound good. When I shut when I shut the computer down, it's not well engineered. When I shut the computer down, it, it powers off. And uh, that I like that. If I go to sleep, will it also? Maybe. But really, my big motivator is that use all those years using the laptop, my feeling was every now and then it would be like uh, I don't know how many days or weeks since I had last restarted or shut down. And I would need to restart because the computer was misbehaving. Um, and I thought, and, and, and this may be completely cargo cult, but my, my rationale in part for shutting down my computer at the end of the day and starting it up in the morning is look, it's a fresh start. Essentially start fresh. It's a, it's a fresh reboot. Everything's coming up from zero 
and uh and and i'm not gonna have at some point in the middle of the day a moment where i'm like uh, i guess i better restart because things are things are a little bit wonky because i feel like if you leave the computer without a restart eventually things get a little out of whack and you got to restart because my like my mom this was always her thing with her laptop is oh my laptop is really acting strangely and i'd say have you shut it down and restarted it because that will probably solve it it always solved it that was always the thing and so you know part of me is just like why not wipe the slate at the end of the day and i don't need the computer to be active and it doesn't take very long to start it up in the morning because it's a pretty fast computer and uh so that's what that's what i do so a sign of a modern uh, high quality computer is that it doesn't deteriorate over time to the point where you need to restart it like a like a inter mob warfare and the godfather just to get out all the bad blood every once in a while yeah, you don't you just like, gotta, you just like, gotta clear out the bugs you gotta you gotta get a fresh bowl in there i mean know? if you have to do that it's a sign that something is wrong yeah like, i think these I, are habits from a long time ago but i also it's the feeling like you know if you've got a memory leak in something um but it only manifests over you know 96 hours or whatever over 100 or 150 hours of uptime and i restart or i shut down and 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 power up every day i'll never have to deal with that but how much of that is reality today versus all that time ago i don't know i think in the end it comes down to the ceremony more than any anything else i kind of don't mind it it does mean i'll tell you something though john i don't think people at apple shut down their computers and the reason I'll tell you this is there has been a bug in the in the startup, which I believe is Bridge OS. I believe this is not even Mac OS. It's the in the Bridge OS. Um, there has been a bug since I got my iMac Pro, and they still haven't fixed it. And it's a year now, and they haven't fixed it. And the bug is this, which is if I'm there ready to type in my password on startup, and I type it in quickly and hit return, the next thing that happens is it puts up the the text that says incorrect password incorrect password it blinks it incorrect password you can actually start typing other things and it will delete the text in the the bullets in the in the password box and let you input more text but at some point after about 10 seconds it just continues on because it was the correct password all along and it'll boot your system it is it is so perplexing and um i think they never see it because i think the people who are in charge are not starting up their computer every morning <laughs> well, they're not as fast the typist as you maybe are that's and, and all, maybe that's it maybe that's also yeah they don't they're not booting their computer impatiently every morning because they just put their computers to sleep yeah and uh, but some computers you know if you're listening to this well i have to restart my computer at least once a week or it gets wonky that is still definitely a thing that happens but it's a sign that something is wrong i don't think people should accept it that Oh, that's that's just the way computers are. It's not just the way computers are. It's the way some computers are. Computers with weird, you know, hardware or software issues or that are breaking or in the process of breaking. Like, there's many things that can cause this to be the case. I find laptops are much more likely to be like this. I have to hard reboot my laptop basically every two and a half weeks and i think it's terrible like i'll come uh, in from see? a weekend i'll come in from a weekend and i'll lift the lid on my laptop and it will just be like nope nothing doing like either it'll be totally black or the screen will come up it'll just get a beach ball forever and i'll try to wait it out and it's like well guess what you're getting hard rebooted and that's one of the reasons i really dislike my laptop it shouldn't be the case that when i lift my lid it, you know it either doesn't turn any of the screens on or shows me all my stuff and then a beach ball and i just there's no getting out of it you can't force quit anything you can't ssh in you can't do anything that's just and then i have to hard reboot it every two and a half weeks or so 10 10 years of using my laptop as my primary and having it attached to an external monitor at work most of that time i cannot tell you i mean that that's 
partly what has trained me for this is that I, yes, it will betray you at some point. And it will often happen when you're just opening the lid and something has gone wrong in the background. Although the worst, the worst one is always that you take your backpack off when you get home and it's hot because the computer's mm-hmm, been running mm-hmm. and blowing the fan on the inside of a very small space inside your backpack because it didn't properly uh, go to sleep when you un- unhooked it and put it in your bag. That's the worst. That happened all the time. Yeah, lap- laptops are terrible. But yeah. uh, And there's not, uh, not all laptops. I've had some laptops where this has not been the case. I don't remember this ever happening with my 2011 MacBook Air that we had at home. Just this particular work of the laptop was a 2017 MacBook Pro. Um, but I, I find that unacceptable, you know, but the desktops uh, have, I would find it even more unacceptable desktop. This, this 2008 Mac pro that I'm sitting in front of the only time it gets rebooted is for system updates. Like it just, and there's not many, not many of those anymore because it's still running El Capitan and it just, it just runs forever and ever. I just put it to sleep every day. Uh, I'm not doing it as some sort of weird uptime contest or whatever. It's just the way I use my computer. When I want to use it, it's ready to go. When I don't, it is completely silent and sitting over there in the corner ready for me to use it. So if you haven't tried that, uh, listeners, uh, give it a try. It's kind of fun to have to know that your computer is silently waiting for your return. Even desktop computers can go to sleep. Um, okay, I have more t- to talk about, much more to talk about, but we should probably take our first break. And let me tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Away. Away is the perfect gift for everyone on your holiday list. What is the gift? It's a suitcase. Smart, premium suitcases, so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket. Now, you it's unlikely that you would give people the gift of travel, right? You're not going to necessarily buy a plane ticket for your friend and say, great, I, I bought you a plane ticket. Good luck. But you can buy them a suitcase, which they can take around the world with them and away is a great choice one of the things that you need most when you're traveling is access to battery when you buy an away carry-on suitcase you can charge all your devices while you travel both of the carry-ons that they make feature usb ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge i have two of these and i love them and it's great having a battery there and uh super convenient you pop the battery out and carry it around and then pop it back into the suitcase. It's great. Go to awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast now, and you can browse Away's suitcases, premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, and still lightweight. That's what they're made out of. You can choose from 10 different colors, five sizes. They've got two adult carry-ons, a kid's carry-on, a medium and large suitcase as well. And because they eliminate the middleman, you can get first-class luggage at Coach prices away suitcases have a patent pending compression system which is great if you're an overpacker squeeze all that stuff in there and the four 360 degree spinner wheels once you get the spinner wheels you will never go back to the old kind of suitcase let me tell you they also have a removable washable laundry bag you can keep your clean clothes away from your stinky ones i love that feature and i use it all the time i said i had two of these we got one when the first away ads appeared on upgrade and um immediately we bought another one because it was that it was that good so that's what i could tell you is that my wife and i uh used the one and then we're like okay we need another one because she needed a, a new suitcase too and our our old carry-ons were not cutting it away believes in the quality of their products they have a lifetime guarantee that they offer if anything breaks they will fix it or replace it for the life of the product and there's a hundred day trial with a no questions asked return policy. There's free shipping on any order in the lower 48 states of the U.S. And this season, this holiday season, everyone wants to 
get away. So go to awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast. And if you use the code upgrade podcast at checkout, you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast and the code upgrade podcast for $20 off. Thank you to Away for supporting Upgrade and all of Relay FM. All right, we do have a little bit more uh, follow out before we move on to topics, which is just that you did your thing on ATP last week where you had your shared Google Sheet with uh, Geekbench scores and prices for iPads and for uh, MacBooks and for Mac Mini too, which I actually took out when. So I made some charts too because it was fun. Um, I'm not sure what it really tells us. Somebody somebody wrote me on Twitter and said, you know, it has the big, the biggest multiplier of all of uh, Geekbench score to dollar uh, price is probably the Apple TV 4K. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, but no, I I think that, that goes a little bit far. But the point was, you know, the iPad and the MacBook are different and it's true, but it's still kind of fascinating to think of just as a, just as a, a vague kind of processor power that's in these iPads for what they cost. Um, and, and it is impressive when you think of it that way that for the 799 of the 11 inch ipad pro there's a lot of processor power in there it's it's a uh the the arm processors that apple is using in its current uh ipads are way more (laughs) powerful uh given the price than the intel processors in the macbooks and there's a lot going on there and there's no like haha so i've proven it but it was a fun exercise to go through that so thank you for talking about it and sharing that spreadsheet with all the all the data um again more i I would say more kind of entertaining and thought-provoking than proving any particular point Uh, but i i I still found it worth the uh the uh the time to think about it yeah I i thought it was i mean i originally made these charts back when the new ipads were introduced so i was thinking of here are these new products and how do they stack up with apple's existing products and you know we're talking about different aspects of them and i you know it's useful sometimes to graph things um if i had to and do some more graphs if and if you want to do some more graphs i would encourage you to do this like uh, the interesting story is how ios devices ipads iphones all that stuff started as this curiosity that it was so amazing that it could run anything you know based on os 10 as steve Jobs said like that it could run a miniaturized version of this full-fledged big bad operating system on a phone and do it successfully because the phones were tiny and had incredibly weak processors couldn't even shoot video to begin with like they're just such uh you know small scale weakling little sister products and if you could graph like the relative performance of or just just graph the the performance period to pick any metric that you want whether it's geekbench or something else of the mac line the various mac lines and the ios lines and in the beginning the macs of course are these big bad you know desktop and laptop computers and they do all this great stuff and you know how could you ever get the operating system that runs on those in any form onto this weakling little phone and the phone was just had no memory and was super slow what there was like 200 megahertz i don't don't even want to guess what the clock speed was in the original iphone someone is looking up wikipedia right now and will tell me in a moment um but eventually when you're not paying attention every year it's like oh the new phones are great they're faster than ever oh the new phones are great they're faster than ever and these new ipads look how fast they are oh there's an ipad pro you assume that, okay, but yeah, but the Macs are getting faster too, right? But these lines cross at a certain point. And first, it's just the, it's the iOS devices crossing over the low-end products, and then the medium-end. And now I feel like with these latest ones, 
it's, it's very difficult to find a, you know, how many Macs does Apple even make that are faster at a reasonable suite of compute intensive things than the iPad? And the answer is not many. Like we just, it was just among the portables, but the two very fastest MacBook Pros are faster. And then presumably the iMac Pro, although the iPad Pro did beat the iMac Pro in a couple of, of benchmarks, which is mind-boggling when you think about that $5,000 computer with all this cooling and you yep. know, all this stuff. That, that the iPad can beat it doing anything, literally any operation. It doesn't make any sense unless there was some dedication. But this was the LVM compiler benchmark, like that one aspect of the Geek, Geek Bench mix. Um, and so seeing that story, like seeing that over the years, over the decade and you know 11 years or whatever it's been, for the iPhone, just to watch those little devices just crawl up out of the muck and eventually overtake almost the entire Mac line. I think that's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this the stagnation of Intel and all the other issues going on, but like the charting them, as I said, on ATP. I, my my goal with the charting, I, the reason I took the Mac Mini out of a bunch of my graphs, I put it in the bottom ones, but in the top ones and took it out, is I wanted it to be like, if you just glance at this chart, it would be like, oh, here's the price and performance of single-core and multi-core of the Apple's laptop line. And then I'd be like, well, the type's really small. I hid the iPad in there. Can you guess where it is? And you would never guess just offhand that it would be way over there on the right-hand side with these, especially with the big separation of single and multi-core. Right. So you can you can graph this stuff end- endlessly. I, I still think it's a it's a fascinating story, and it's one of those things that sneaks up on you if you don't, like, take the chance to look at it. Now, your scatter plot that you did is even more interesting, uh, especially since you've got these circles around the different different regions or whatever. And then, uh, you know, the Mini and, and the MacBook Pro is way up in the upper right of... Uh, performance and cost uh i i guess i mean i bet apple doesn't view its products in this way i can't imagine any chart like any of these ones that any of us have made ever showing up in something inside apple because that's not how they it's not how they view their products not how they market their products and realistically speaking it's not how we should think about their products either because there's so much more to them than these you know benchmarks numbers or whatever Exactly. I had a bunch of people say, well, yeah, but the iPad doesn't have a keyboard and the Mac Mini, uh, because I took it out of mine because I wanted to just be on mobile, but the Mac Mini scores incredibly well, the new Mac Mini, because it's cheap and it's and it's got a bunch of pretty fast processor options. But of course, that doesn't have keyboard or display or anything like that. And, and that's all true, right? Like the point is not to, that's what I meant by sort of it doesn't prove anything. Like, yeah, there's a lot going on here that is not addressed in these charts. And, and yet it it is kind of enough to to scratch your chin a little bit and be like, well, look at that. Isn't that interesting? Where the iPad manages to sit and and where the uh, you know where the MacBook is versus the MacBook Air and and all of that. Yeah, because we are asking these things to do some of the same things. Like they're sure. we are we ask, they all they both run Photoshop, right? So you run Photoshop on an iPad or on a Mac, and you would think, well, of course it'll all, I'll run on a Mac because it'll do much better on a Mac. It's like, well, which Mac do you have? Let's see if that's really true. And the idea of when Apple says um, that the iPad Pro is faster than 90% of the of the laptop shipped in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. there is that moment of like, well, okay, I, I hear you, but what does that really mean? And, and, and it lets you visualize that. It's like, no, th- these are faster than every MacBook other than, at least in these tests. And again, these are semi-synthetic benchmark tests, but faster than, than any MacBook other than the 15-inch MacBook Pro models. And that's, again, 
it's different. There are lots of caveats there. I had a bunch of people dropping into my Twitter mentions saying, ah, yes, but the iPad is useless because it doesn't whatever. I'm like, whatever. I don't I don't really care. And I, I'm not going to engage in that. Um, it's just kind of fascinating to see that power there. I honestly think that the most interesting thing about this uh, discussion is not about the iPad. It's about an Apple built processor in a Mac. Like that was always the question is like, well, they can't really. And you guys talked about this on ATP last week. Um, the iPad Pro shows that there is a vast swath of Apple's product line that could be converted today with existing processors and be no slower than they currently and, are. And be better. Yeah. Be better. Have longer battery life. Be, be either faster or uh, have fantastically longer battery life or both. Wikipedia says the original iPhone was a uh, was un- underclocked to 412 megahertz, the Samsung processor. It was a 620 megahertz processor underclocked to 412 megahertz. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Good times. The thing about Apple not not thinking, not these graphs never appearing in Apple's uh, headquarters as they envision their <laughs> product line is like and this is how we see the external face where they show here's our lineup of products and they like to put them in size order and have increments of price they always have this slide somewhere in the presentation of like here's this one and it costs this much and then you can step up to this one and it costs this much and like they, they, they like to they seem to like to have nice gradations of price where you add 100 or 150 or whatever as you go up to the next one and they come in you know three or four sizes uh, they, you know they, they have product lines and they, they, it's almost as if they're they like to think of them as, you know, almost physically a physical family, like nesting dolls or like, mm-hmm. I don't know, a match set of things. Um, the, the, the physical attributes and the prices as one of the as, as an almost physical attribute as far as Apple is concerned. And yes, also the capabilities. But never would they say, OK, and let's see how these devices spread out over any specification, whether it be RAM or clock speed or performance on a mixed set of benchmarks or application performance, like they never do that. And it's mostly because the results are not sensible and really never have been sensible. Here, we're trying to highlight how the iOS line has come from behind and overtaken the Mac line. But just forget about iOS. Just just within the Mac line, the layout of the dots in any scatter plot of, of the Mac line has never been, look at this beautiful curve. You know, you, you pay more money and you get a better product. And like, it's always been all over the place because when you get to the high end, the margins get bigger and things get more wildly out of whack. And there's these tight clusters around certain capabilities based on the processors they're using at the time with a few outliers. It's not how Apple thinks about their products and certainly not how they present them to the outside world. And I don't think it's how they think about them internally. And I don't think it's healthy for us to think about them that way. But this is this is purely a technology story of like, when does, you know, when does our Max become feasible? When does it become inevitable? And I, this the turnaround of the October uh, IMAX is like now it's almost becoming inevitable. Yeah. Intel really gets a fire lit under it or uh, Apple makes its own x86 chip or there's a bunch of other alternatives that we talk about at infinitum on, on atp but uh it's it's not looking good for uh intel based Macs. no i i used to be a believer that apple wouldn't switch the mac away from intel mostly because i felt like in that era and i think this was actually how apple felt at the time they didn't care enough about the mac <laughs> to put in an effort to do a, tri- a chip transition but then we had the whole you know uh, let's come on down and have a rap session about the Mac, <laughs> and and uh, we we feel everybody's pain, and there's going to be a Mac Pro, and 
you know, and stay tuned for that iMac Pro at the end of the year and all that stuff that we got in 2017. (laughs) And they revised the Mac Mini for crying out loud. Right, (laughs) right. Like this is, I, I would guess that at some point, maybe early last year, Apple had a, something happened where Apple was like, okay, we're changing our assumptions about the Mac. Hey, we're either going to do the Mac or we're not going to do it. Are right. we going to do it or are we not going to do it? And, and I feel like a lot of this stuff is all kind of a part of a, a whole, which is bringing in, bringing in the, the Mac Pro and, and uh, revising the Mac Mini. But it's also like the Marzipan stuff I think you can throw in there. Like I think their new strategy is traditional uh, computer form factors will still be the Mac, but they'll be running, they'll be able to run all of the software that's in the iOS app store as well. And at that point, when I see them doing all of that, making all this effort, I look at it and I go, oh, okay. Well, now you will totally switch to ARM because uh, we've mm. seen that the processor are capable of it, especially on the laptop end. And so, I, yeah, in a year I've gone from, I don't think they, I guess a year and a half ago, I thought, I don't think they care enough. A year ago, I thought, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. When will they be able to do it? And this year with these iPad Pros, especially, it's just like, oh, well, they're there. Like, it's just a matter of how they want to roll it out. They're, they're already present. Yeah, once you get to the point where, where you are looking forward to and anticipating and wanting, like, like you start thinking fondly, I would love to have a laptop with, with this processor in it, right? When you, when you lust after that product, that product that doesn't exist, then it, then it becomes so much more real. Related to that, I wrote a piece uh, for Macworld a couple weeks ago, which was based entirely on just a moment of realization while Apple was talking about the iPad Pro um, and the uh, and the MacBook Air, um, the, because they were at the same event, right? And I had that moment where I thought, you know, what's interesting is the iPad, uh, the MacBook Air does not have processor configurations it's one processor for the for your your uh, son's homework computer your kid's homework computer right it's just, there's the one processor you don't have a well you can build in with an i7 for an extra 300 no there's one processor that's available for it and i had that moment where i thought oh you know that's just like all the ios devices <laughs> like they don't let you vary it and build your own processor configuration there's just the one and when you say apple internally isn't thinking about it in, in the terms of like well there's this thing and this thing and that thing i think that's true i also think that there's a tendency inside apple is my guess to really think of the product as what's this product for and what do we want to build it and i think the idea of kind of old school um configurator where you know there was you know uh dell was so successful with it in the early 2000s right you remember this that the huge there was huge pressure on apple i think tim cook was probably a part of this huge pressure on apple to be able to uh reduce their their channel inventory and let you customize your order online that was like dell mastered that and everybody else felt the pressure on doing that you want to reduce your channel inventory because it's very expensive to build computers and not know if somebody's going to sell them or not and if nobody or buy them if nobody buys them you're you gotta put them in a landfill or something or you gotta put them on sale and uh but a part of that was custom configurations and i remember how big a deal it was when you could build a you know configure to order build to order uh, a mac and choose it but internally at apple when i think about how they are designing these products especially the ios products like 
the last thing that they want to do is make something maybe like the the Mac Pro, right? But for most of the computers, they don't want to have things that are like totally modular and there are like 16 different variations based on RAM and storage and like they want to minimize that as much as possible. And on iOS, they've done that where basically you've got storage and color and that's it. Like those are your options, storage and color. And if you want a different set of features, get the other model, like get the get the 10R or get the 10S or buy the iPhone 7, get the regular iPad or get the iPad Pro. Um, and on the Mac right now, they don't do that. But I looked at this Air when it came out, and I was like, eh, that's, that seems more Apple to me today of just saying, uh, no, it's got the processor that it's, that's in it. And if you don't want that processor, get a different model. That's a, it's a, mostly a consumer-friendly move because I think people are relieved only to have to pick storage size and color for their phones because that's those are, for the most part, you can't give, you don't want to give consumers too much to think about. Right. Um, but there are lots of examples of products where they do seemingly intentionally give consumers a lot to think about. And buying a car is one of them. Depending on what kind of car you buy, a lot of car makers have tons and tons of options. And it's like, oh, geez, do I really have to think of all this? I mean, the more, in fact, the more expensive the car you get, sometimes the more options there are where you can customize every aspect of the interior down to every single color and materials for the seats and the dashboard and the floor. And like, oh, just can you just make me a car that's like, you know, and they have presets or whatever. But uh, there's something to that and that if, when Apple offers you, like you just said, oh, upgrade to the i7 for 300 bucks, those options, very much like car options, tend to cost way more to the consumer than they do to Apple, sure. right? Big markup on those. Um, and if you do the generally consumer-friendly thing of saying, oh, the MacBook Air, it's going one CPU option. Apple foregoes these fat, fat margins on upgrading the CPU for some minor bump in speed that is noticeable and measurable, but not in proportion to the amount of yes. extra money it will look cost. At, look at the chart. Look at that chart, that scatterplot chart I made that's got the MacBook on there with the, the two build-to-order options on a faster processor in the 12-inch MacBook. And it 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 does nothing, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it, except raise the price. It moves everything. All the, all the items move very slightly upward and off to the right. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's fair, it does cost Apple more, especially with Intel, because Intel marks up those, those things. Well, uh, and, but, like, and but, it costs Apple. What it costs Apple is that they've got to build it so that it can have different processors in it, right? That is the one thing that is the fundamental cost for clock speed and if the pinouts are the same. It's not that that big of a difference, but like what we're getting is like the, in the in the Mac line, there's been this expectation that certain things are customizable, and it's given the product designers like the uh, like not not the actual physical product, but like the thing for sale, like sort of price designing it that they have these knobs that they can turn they could say okay well here here will be our base model and here are the three dials that people are going to turn and, you know uh, hard disk space or you know screen size cpu like there's all sorts of things and all of those kind of like the phones were i don't know if this is still true but historically uh phone uh, iphone buyers have always wanted to buy the fanciest model and it sells you know even better than the cheaper model and in most cases that a surprising number of people will forego the base model to the point where at various times apple has made the base model sort of undesirable to get people to get the options sort of like the car that doesn't come with the floor mats or doesn't come with air conditioning even though yeah. you know, everybody wants air conditioning right i am very much in favor of reducing some of these options because i i hope i think and i hope what it will mean is that they will not put like the not so great cpu in. if they have to pick one cpu they have to pick 
a pretty okay one because if there are no other options there's no way to upsell that's the one computer everyone's going to be testing and trying and if it's a slug people are going to say this whole computer is a slug whereas before if it's a slug it would be like the reviewers would say oh just make sure you get the upgraded cpu option back when back when actually it did make more of a difference than does with the macbook or whatever um and same thing with storage i'll make sure you don't get the 16 gigabyte phones they're a little bit tight right and nobody did buy them who got you know in our circle of friends would be like don't that's too little right that's like good it's the good better best buying psychology right we and nobody wants the good if they can get the better they always buy the middle one mm-hmm. and so you can say hey it starts at 9.99 but the middle one is 11.99 and at that point yeah it actually starts at 11.99 but the the 9.99 will will get you in the store although uh, you know every new car that i've ever bought has had all those options and then they've said well we've we've really only got three on the lot um, so you can, and, and, and so you can either wait in nine months, and maybe we'll get you one that has been built to your specifications, or you can look at the three we've got and choose the features or colors and drive it. And uh, both of both of the new cars that I've bought in that fashion have been that essentially, which is like, oh, this one has seat heaters, great. <laughs> this one's yeah, dark they- gray and super boring minivan. Yeah, okay, whatever. It's here. We'll take it. Yeah, the figurative and literal weight of inventory in the car world is slightly different than it is in Apple's yeah. market because look, you got a, you got these big, giant, bulky, heavy things on the lot, and the physical reality of that is such that they are much more likely to price that to move whereas apple's putting things in ever tinier boxes and doesn't yeah. have that problem but anyway i do hope that apple uh takes this as an opportunity to reduce options that are not meaningful but like i mean I, my dream would be that they all come with the good one because it's like it doesn't cost that much more and just put the good one in there and it seems like they will be able to transfer all the obscene margins mm. to store yeah yeah exactly because <laughs> like, if you look at the prices to get like a one terabyte ssd in the mac it's like well double the price yeah no i think that i think that is what they've shown on ios is that storage is where you build in the margins and i mean i that's why i bring up that ipad pro is like i feel like the ipad pro has the good processor right it's not that's like the a12x it's yeah it's, like that's not that's not like down clocked and they could have put a slightly faster one in there and you know or there's some different variant that has nine cores instead of six or something like that's they put the best one in or that the 11 has has a slightly slower one and the 12.9 has a has a faster one like no there it's the a12x everybody gets it it's good and would you like a terabyte of storage with that yeah although they do they do hold the ram which they don't talk about yeah. no one talk, you know the first rule of ram club in ios no one talks about ram club it only gets so what six gigabytes on the, on one, the terabyte one terabyte model, model yeah which is which is nonsensical and further confuses people who can't distinguish between ram and storage but like they're those two things are not yeah, connected but they don't that's why they don't talk about it yeah they're connected in that they're both the highest they can go so if you give us the most money Keep your extra extra two gigs of RAM. Well, I feel like the the current and especially in the next like two or three years, we're going to see this is going to be the era where all of the learning that Apple has done in the last decade on iOS is actually going to get applied to the Mac in a way that it hasn't really been up to now. And that's that thing I said about how they turned the corner last year. I think that they made a change in how they perceived the Mac. But I feel like we're on it now. Like, this is it's it's about to happen, where a whole bunch of those kind of, like, classic Mac computer assumptions uh, that were actually magnified a little bit by going to Intel, because it's like, now it's just an Intel PC. Like, follow all of those assumptions about how you build and order and configure a computer. And Apple has spent the last... 10 years 10 plus years with ios and i think that they're gonna apply a lot of ios learning 
to the Mac, and it's going to change the Mac. It's going to make a the Mac a a different place. And I don't know if this will be specifically what they do, but it just it feels like that is coming. Where there's got to be a reckoning where where Apple can reconcile these sort of two different worlds that it's making products in with the Mac versus iOS devices and kind of get them back kind of on the same page. It's going to be interesting. So hopefully, eventually, you will stop shutting down your Mac because you don't shut down your iPad every night, I do you? Do, I do not. I never, so never do that. You, Although every you now are going to be along for that ride. You've got to leave behind old mom, habits. My mom doesn't have her laptop anymore, but every now and then I have to have her turn off her iPad, but she doesn't turn it off every day. I just every now and then I have her turn it off and turn it back on. And then, guess what, John? Everything works fine after you turn it off and turn it back on. You just don't <laughs> need to do it every day. Uh, you're not going to... Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. In fact, it goes so long that my mother says, oh, yeah, I forgot. That's right. We just turn it off and turn it back on. I'm like, yeah, that's it. All right. uh, Let's take a break. Let me tell you about our next sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom, the company who make website performance monitoring very easy. I just got my monthly report from Pingdom about my website because I use Pingdom for it to just say how, how often was my website up. Pingdom will warn you when your website goes down. But I get this neat report. 99.97% is the answer. But they're, they're checking. They're checking all the time to make sure that my site is updated. And when, when my site went down, I was alerted. Pingdom is helping keep your favorite site online. Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack, you name it. Those companies trust Pingdom to make sure that they stay up and running and your site can get really complicated. You can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. It's not just, is my site up? It is also user registrations, logins, checkouts, and much more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you will be the first to know. It's super easy to get started. All they need is your URL and they will take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. When you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout. You'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for telling me that my site was up. 99.97% of the time, warning me the one time that it went down in the last month for supporting download and all of Relay FM. So this is a little bit later than we usually do upstream in the show, but I thought that we, we could talk about it because you and I are, uh, we're, we're TiVo owners, we're paying attention to media stuff, and Mike and I talk about media stuff and what Apple is doing. And I think one of the most interesting things to happen, uh, on its own, maybe not as interesting as what it might mean is the news that came out last week. Amazon announced that Apple Music is going to be on Amazon Echo devices. And this is not the first third-party speaker to have Apple Music on it. The Sonos stuff all supports Apple Music and has since it was Beats, so since the very beginning. Um, And I've been listening to Apple Music stuff on my Sonos speaker for quite a while now. But I do think it's really interesting because this is core... Amazon Echo now, you're going to be able to use the lady in the canister to play your Apple Music. And I I wonder, given a conversation that Mike and I had last week, and I wrote a piece at Macworld last week about it, about Apple trying to balance the classic Apple, we make money on profit margins on the hardware we sell with this services narrative that we're growing money we get from people in our ecosystem that is a service we sell them in addition to the hardware and how when you think about them spending a billion dollars on TV content to roll out next year, it's hard to imagine what my piece says is it's hard to imagine that the profit margins on the Apple TV 
are ever worth justifying over getting people to watch your streaming service and making a more affordable uh, piece of hardware that you can attach to a TV set that lets you watch Apple's video service because the services narrative is really strong and how much money can Apple really be making from the Apple TV anyway? Um, and I used an example, our friend Steve Lutz, who wanted to buy the Buffy the Vampire Slayer complete series on iTunes, but uh, he, he, and he's got an iPad and he's got an iPhone, but he was never going to buy an Apple TV so he could watch it on his TV set. And uh, then this a- Amazon Echo Apple Music thing happened and I thought, okay, is this an outlier? Is this just like it being on Sonos and not a big deal? Because it feels a little bit like it might be Apple saying we're changing a little bit about where our services are available because growing our services revenue is important and not like we're going to take it to take it to Amazon and we're going to convert them all as much as it is that a lot of their customers already have one and their service doesn't go there and that makes it less valuable. I don't know. What do you think about this idea that Apple is trying to uh, you know, maybe change how it views growing services revenue versus its sort of traditional strategy with hardware? I think, I mean, it's hard to tell because we don't know what's going inside Apple, but from the outside, it still seems like they're, the Apple is hesitant. Um, and yeah. yeah. So they want to, they want to expand Apple TV, but there's been a few rare cases where Apple has fully committed to this. If you look at the competitors, you can, it's a stark contrast. Like Netflix is a great example. Netflix is business was that they want you to subscribe to Netflix. Uh, that is the most important thing about mm-hmm. their business. And if there was a barrier, like Steve Lutz, who wants to watch something, like what's stopping you from surviving, subscribing to Netflix? If your answer is, uh, I don't have any way to watch Netflix on my TV, Netflix addresses that problem by going to anybody who has any device that can show video in any possible way over the past decade or so and said, let us help you build netflix into your thing to the point now where televisions come with remote controls where there's a button on the remote control that yep. says netflix that's uh, the level of dedication netflix has to getting it so you have no excuse not to subscribe to netflix your tv does it your cereal box does it your car can blame netflix like there's nothing in your life that yep. you cannot blame microwave your refrigerator right by the way the roku for people who don't remember this far back the original roku was called the netflix box it was not even called the Roku. It was called the Netflix box. And it was a essentially a, a deal between Netflix and Roku because Roku was making like audio players and they wanted to get into video and Netflix desperately wanted to box it could point people to and say, mm-hmm. here's where you can do your Netflix. What, what was it? Instant watch or something when it was branded as like not a DVD uh, mm-hmm. and you got it free with your DVD subscription. That was the that was like the beginning of that strategy where they're like, we need a box that you can plug into your TV and watch Netflix. And now every, yeah, every uh, microwave and garage door opener will play Netflix if you want. Yeah, and that, and they were doing those deals and making those boxes and getting, you know, all that stuff in uh, while they were involved in the five to seven year process of getting any kind of software onto televisions. Because dealing with television makers, it's a long lead time and smart TV wasn't there and it was bad. And like, you know, so, but, but that's, if you are truly committed, as Netflix surely is, because it is their one and only business, truly committed to people subscribing to your service, you want your service to be available to everyone. Yep. Apple for for has services, but thus far has not shown a Netflix level of commitment to making any of its services available to everyone. 
it's mostly they're available to people who buy Apple products. Sure. And yes, they have Apple Music on Android and, and the on Sonus or whatever. So like they're dipping their toe in like we would like more Apple Music subscribers. Surely they would. People who are who work for Apple Music are like, hey, we should make those subscriber numbers go up. Right? How do we do that? But they're not taking the full court press. Apple Music has to be everywhere in the entire world. They're just not. I mean, the, the part of it is because they feel like there is a certain minimum level of experience they have to maintain. But part of it is just that it's not in Apple's DNA to do that. Uh, the the biggest counterexample, obviously, although you know you're, you're an old man like me, so I want to see if we are of the same thing. What what is the the thing that comes to mind when you think of the case where Apple actually did this and went wide? The one that comes to mind is when they did the, what, third generation iPod and put it on Windows? Yep, that's it. Like oh. So you, they could have sold MP3 players to Mac users with FireWire attachments for 500 bucks for a long time. And they, you know, they started doing that. Uh, but eventually it's like, look, do you want, you know, eventually the, the iPod, eventually the iTunes music store. Do you want to sell music to Mac users? Do you want to sell music to Apple customers? Or do you want to sell music to everyone? And they, you know, it was a difficult internal argument, and mm-hmm. they weren't. They, they Steve were, Jobs was against it, <laughs> right? Steve Jobs was against it, and and they and in the beginning, this is not what they did. They didn't introduce, you know, it wasn't from the beginning, and had to come later. That's what made iTunes iTunes, yeah. right? In the days of you know purchasing digital music, iTunes was king because it went out to everyone and you know every it was a simpler world where everyone just basically meant mac and windows like there wasn't you know, <laughs> but like this moment feels very much like that in the sense that you've got i feel like you've got this internal culture at apple that is like this is what we do and in that moment it was what we're not going to make this work on windows like this is our advantage is that it only works on the mac and then you've got this other force that's saying wait 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 there's a greater opportunity here. <laughs> we should go big with this because this is a bigger thing than just um, being ancillary to our existing products. We want this to be a thing that's that's much larger. Um, and, and that's why when I look at it, I think I think the real question is not does Apple want you know does Apple want a lot of people <laughs> to subscribe to the service that they're spending a billion dollars on content for? Because of course they do. Um, the question to me is, how badly do they want it? And can they override some of the, those feelings? Because the two things they could do, one of which is they could just let other boxes play iTunes content or play this TV content, like Roku and the Fire TV and your microwaves and your, you know, whatever else. They could do that, where like you literally don't even need any Apple hardware at all and you can get the Apple video service. The other thing they could do is take the Apple TV and make it more affordable. And you still need an Apple product. And I'm not I, I'm not sure which one they're going to do because on one level, keeping saying, look, we make premium hardware. Like think of the HomePod. We make premium hardware. It's really great. The HomePod's so awesome. It's got all these things. This is Apple talking. Although I like my HomePods now that I have two of them and I really like them. Um, would I have gotten them if I could just talk to my Amazon Echo and got it to play Apple Music? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but with that, what they're saying is, look, we have this premium hardware that has a big profit margin for us, which is the HomePod. And you can listen to Apple Music there. But you can also listen on Sonos. You can listen on Amazon Echo. It's fine. So if they do that model for video, what they should do is let you play Apple video stuff and maybe AirPlay as well on Roku's and Fire TVs. Because um, 
they still have a premium hardware product that you can get that they'll say is nicer and it's got this great remote that isn't that great and that you can play games but there aren't that many games but there it is right so that that feels like they could do that strategy um and and yet i have a harder time imagining apple's video stuff running on a fire tv than i do with apple making a $75 version of Apple TV. Is it, I wonder what they say to themselves in their meetings because like they're like, you know, before they're spending, what is it billions? Is it multiple billions of dollars on like original? I, I think the, video re- content? I think the report is that they, they were going to spend a billion dollars on video content, but you know, it's an ongoing process. So there was an initial report of the hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that it's more like a billion dollars now, but it's, it's all very vague because you just get these kind of like leaked wall street journal reports about it, but they're spending a huge amount of money and to keep this as an ongoing concern, they will need to continue to spend a huge amount of money for this content because, you know, yeah. this year's content will cost this. Well, there's still next year's content. So I let's yeah. just say for a round number, it's a billion dollars a year on content. And, and it's almost like it almost feels like a trial balloon because it's like this will be our initial thing. And like but they don't seem committed to it in the same way that, that Netflix has been like they're going to spend all this money. But it's like, it, all right, so you're going to spend hundred million, hundreds of millions or a billion dollars. If it turns out really well and you get lots and lots of subscribers to the Apple service, forget it, and you don't, haven't done anything, you just still have the Apple TV, no new cheaper Apple TV, no expansion or whatever. Like, what what do you see is, how does this evolve over time? What is what is the progression? What, what defines success? If you could say, uh, and I'm going to project forward five years in the future of Apple's video service, and here's what it looks like. It's inevitable that you have to either, like, decide that you're always going to be a minor player and live in the shadow of the big ones or if you're going to spend all this money you need to be able to sell these shows that you're paying to be made to as many people as possible like there's no there's no way out of that right so and even if if your plan is like oh we make a cheaper apple tv that's not a plan like that doesn't get you an apple apple video button on your television remote right that's a tiny step for someone who's reluctant like oh people don't want to buy the big apple tv maybe they'd buy it no people don't want to buy anything they just want to buy a tv and press a button and be able to watch like if you're successful with your content and you have you know insert unknown name of new intellectual property video program you know whatever your thing is whether it's game of thrones or orange is the new black or like you know serial in the podcast word if you have some amazing content that people want to see the barrier to entry has to be basically zero if you want to be able to sell to the most people the barrier to entry netflix isn't zero because people don't have smart tvs or whatever but it's as close to zero as possible netflix is constantly working to bring it down to zero and apple is not working to bring the barrier to entry down to zero apple is you know like dipping its toe in but at the same time spending a billion dollars on content i would never want to spend a billion dollars in content that can only be seen by people who own apple tvs that is madness right 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 well i mean you can watch them on ipads and iphones and i'm sure they'll regardless of whatever else happens but but even then like if you can't watch it on android that's 80 percent of the world so i here's here's what i think they are trying to do is i think they're not trying to reach everybody in the world i do think that they want to reach everybody who has a foot in their ecosystem so that they can you know again services revenue is all about kind of accumulating more money for people who have a foot in their ecosystem but where it breaks down so so if like no you don't own an apple product and you hear about that new jennifer aniston reese witherspoon show and uh you know yes maybe you're like oh how can i can i get that even though it's on apple i don't have any apple things that is uh, that would be an argument for being on roku and fire tv and stuff like that but i think 
at the very least what Apple wants is that if you own an Apple product, you should you should they want you to watch that show. They want you to be into it. And if you're like our friend Steve and you've got the Apple stuff, but you're like, yeah, but I want to watch that on the TV. And you're going to make me pay 150 bucks to put it on my TV. Like, that's never going to happen. So, like, there's there's this intermediate step, which is just get the people who are already in your ecosystem and are already paying you money to pay you more money for this video show. But what you can't do, what, what seems to be a bridge too far for probably most of them, is for the, to sell them another piece of high-margin hardware. Like, that is too far. That that seems to be too far to go. Yeah, I still, I still feel like it's a, it's still like a bargaining stage where it's like, oh, we can do this and that'll get everyone in their ecosystem. I was thinking before about uh, iTunes being this, you know, not an Apple phenomenon, but being a world of music phenomenon. It's hard for people to remember in this days of streaming, but buying digital music basically equaled iTunes for a long time. Um, the iPhone, arguably the next mass market, even though Android has massively more market share, the iPhone was and is as successful as it is because you don't have to be a Mac user to get an iPhone. Absolutely. Just the math of it, it, you can't. I mean, there have to be. I always say this to people and they're like, that doesn't sound right, which is there have to be more iPhone users who use PCs than Macs. Otherwise, the math doesn't work. Like, they can't not be. And it's interesting to think about that in that that, the the reason that happened, I mean, uh, whether it was conscious or not, it piggybacked on iTunes, on that one iTunes decision. How could Apple sell iPhones to people who didn't have Macs? Well, when you get an iPhone, you have to hook it up to your computer to iTunes, which already ran on Windows, which was the only other computer platform that mattered, right? So that one decision to go wide with iTunes and digital music basically allowed them to immediately go wide with the iphone again iphone does not dominate the way itunes did in its heyday but it would be considerably smaller if you needed to have any apple device other than an iphone most people have iphones like i wonder if that's their only apple device because it Mm. is so popular they sent they sell so much of that stuff and ipads are you know i think ipads sell about the same amount as Macs these days well, they don't report unit sales anymore, so who the hell knows? Who, who but, knows? Uh, <laughs> At this moment, before we go over the precipice of that, we can we can guess that, yeah, there are there are more iPads being sold than Macs because they're cheaper and they're generating, I think, roughly the same revenue. So I think yeah. unit sales, there are there are maybe like twice as many iPads but, being but sold but as Macs. But everyone's watching YouTube and Netflix on those iPads. Yeah. They're not watching Apple's non... You know, so anyway, Apple Apple's investment... Apple putting so much money in it gives me some hope that someone's going to be in some meeting go like, this doesn't make sense. We can't spend this kind of money and limit and still like, like as your point, uh, you know, be held hostage essentially by the people who make $150, you know, high margin black puck that people attach to their televisions. You know, what? show us your numbers and your projections. Let's if we give away your product for free for free, here are our projections. Like not that Apple's ever gonna do that, but, but like it, they, it feels like like the the right way forward is that, which is to say this is kind of a beachhead, and it also allows us to say that this experience is best on Apple TV. So that we make a we make premium hardware, it's the best experience here. But yes, you can also watch it on your cheap tv stick and that's fine too just like they can say yes you can play apple music on your amazon echo but the home pod is awesome and you should go buy one that costs you know a lot yeah, more they, they, <laughs> they need everybody to be talking right. about have you seen house of cards 
and they need the conversation to be about this great show that and if you want it you have to get netflix yeah. or apple you know apple video or whatever that needs to be the conversation if the conversation switches to what do i have to buy to watch this something has gone wrong they need to get on netflix's level and i think the answer is probably for them to take the tv app and put it in other places because the tv app if you haven't noticed uh on the apple tv especially like Apple's basically poured all their video into the TV app. Like iTunes purchases are in the TV app. You know, the, obviously uh, their service is going to go in the TV app. Other services are in the TV app. Um, it, I, I feel like that TV app, although it's been its debut was underwhelming and it's still not a very good app. I was just uh, trying to play. I saw that uh, Arsenal was playing this morning and I'm a, a fake American soccer fan. Uh and I opened the TV app because I got a, like a push notification and it was like, watch now on NBC. And I tapped on it and nothing. Oh, no, I tapped on watch now and the add to watch list button, which was below it clicked. And I thought, well, that's a mistake. I must have tapped the wrong one. It's early in the morning and I'm bleary eyed and I haven't had my tea yet. And so I pressed the play button again. And again, it, it took it off the watch list. And it was literally the one button was clicking the other button. I thought, well, this is ridiculous. And I kind of quit the app and I went back to it. And then it then it wouldn't accept touch input on that one little tile at all. <laughs> I was like, what is happening here? I switched to the NBC app and played the, played the soccer match and it was fine. But uh, so the TV app is a mess is what I'm saying. That said... It, it, that kind of makes sense to me to, for Apple, if it's going to do this, to say, basically, we're going to open the gate to iTunes rentals, um, per, iTunes purchases, and, uh, you know, all of our iTunes all cart stuff, plus our TV services, plus we will resell you other TV services all inside this app on whatever device it is. And that might be actually the smart thing about why the TV app exists is what if the TV app is actually Apple's whole strategy for embedding video in other stuff but i don't know that in the end to me john it comes back to culture which is even if we all look at this and say you can't spend a billion dollars over there and not do this over here the the part over here is counter to so much apple like culture there's so much cultural baggage about like no 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 we can't put the crown jewels on roku or fire tv because we're a hardware company and the truth is they're not a hardware company they're more complicated than that now this services narrative says that they're really not a hardware company or they're a hardware company to the extent that they that the hardware is like a uh, a personal seat license at a stadium it is the thing you buy that gives you the right to spend more money <laughs> Uh, but I don't know that that's a big leap for them to change like that. And I, I wonder internally if this is, if this is the sort of mixed feeling struggle, it may also be that because we don't know we, until they announce it, we won't know that this was a struggle, but it's, it's over now. That may entirely be because it's hard to believe that the person who authorizes a billion dollars in outlay for entertainment is also going to be like, Oh no, but we have to protect our Apple TV merchants. That's very important. Yeah, well, the, the the more cynical take is that the entire uh, narrative about services revenue is Apple needs something to point to that's growing and doing well while they work on the next big thing, which sure. is insert whatever thing, whether it's a car, or AR glasses, or you know, so on and so forth. Apple TV is not going to be the next big thing. No, Apple right. TV is not it, but like you could say, the company could still be committed to selling you high margin hardware. 
and everything else is in service of that. It's just that they haven't found the next high margin hardware mm-hmm. product to sell. Uh, they thought maybe the watch would be it, but not quite. And maybe AR glasses and maybe a car. And, you know, I, I don't believe that. But like, if you wanted to get a cynical take, you could say, I don't, bl- I think this services narrative is just like, look over here, a line that's going up on a graph. That doesn't seem right to me because I think Apple, again, based on the amount of money they're spending on our original content, you don't do that as a distraction while you work on AR glasses. Yeah. Exactly. Before we move on, I wanted to at least ask you, this is something that I just noticed in myself, which is um, I'm not using my TiVo as much. And some of that may be just like what I'm watching. But I found that the last few months I've been using my TiVo for some live TV and a couple of shows. And I've been spending a lot more time on my um, on my Apple TV input, watching stuff from streaming services. And it's not like I'm not using my TV subscription, my cable subscription. I am watching a bunch of stuff still that kind of comes through that gate, but I'm also watching so much stuff that's coming through streaming. And I just, I don't know, have you felt like a trend in this direction too? Because I feel like I'm not anywhere near at the point where I could be like, okay, a traditional linear TV is over for me. I, I, I am not going to be able to do that for a long time, I think. But I am feeling like traditional linear TV and what's on my TiVo hard drive is way less important to my entertainment life than it used to be. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, it's a content issue. It's a proliferation of content it used to be that there were you know well there were fewer channels and that there were you know what were they you probably know the right terms for this but like the seasons of television right like the fall lineup of television what is the other one the spring lineup i don't know but yeah mid-season whatever yeah yeah Yeah. um and and those were the shows and the shows were the shows and then they expanded out into channels and there were more channels but then they had their shows and now i think i don't know if it's the majority but a huge amount of of video content is not quote-unquote on television you know basically we just talked about apple spending a billion dollars why the hell is apple making tv shows because everybody's doing it netflix makes tv shows there's the hulu original shows and cbs puts things that are only available on the cbs app and not on regular tv like and for me what that means is that a lot of the things that i watch are part of some other non-television subscription that i subscribe to i pay for hulu pay for cbs all access to watch star trek pay for netflix what pay for amazon prime that has its own original content many of those just aren't on the television so of course the tivo is not going to you know show those and for my particular taste lots of you know sci-fi or gritty fantasy stuff there's stuff that's maybe not suitable for television and, and, and you know or at least uh, non-premium cable television it means that more and more of my watching is not something that the TiVo could record. Or sometimes it is. Like, sometimes Hulu has shows at the same time as they're aired on television, and I can watch them in either place, and that gets really confusing. But I think that's basically what it comes down to. Now, the other weird thing for me is when my TiVo records something, like, you know, I, I could watch Game of Thrones when it comes back eventually on my iPad or on my Apple TV, but I also subscribe to HBO, like the real full cable HBO. Yeah, me too. And my TiVo records. Yep. Uh, and when everybody else is having streaming problems for the season premiere of Game of Thrones, I don't because my TiVo has it or I can watch it live and that never fails, uh, unlike the stampede of people trying to go to their iOS app. So I've, I'm comforted by that. So sometimes when I do have the choice of which venue to watch it in or what service or whatever, I will watch it on the old-fashioned TiVo. And the second thing is often my TiVo will record lots of random stuff that I will watch on my iPad from my TiVo right. in in my house which is another interesting thing it's like well 
you know, it's it's one of those one of my iPad shows where it's not worthy of the big television, <laughs> and I'm already in bed, and I just want to watch. You know, maybe you know, want to watch a little one little program before I go to bed, and I'm already tucked in and everything, and I'll just pull out my iPad, and my iPad can let me watch anything. I can watch. You know, all the Apple stuff, Apple proprietary stuff, all my services have apps on the thing. Sure. And all, there's also a TiVo app, and I can watch my shows off of my TiVo. So does that count as using my TiVo? I suppose so, but it's not the same as it uh, traditionally was. Do you do you put in headphones for that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it can't, can't be uh, disturbing people. Yeah, You're well, that's, that's what I was going to say, is that would be really terrible if you were, like, watching a, a show that your wife AirPods. I, I use yeah. my AirPods. Great. Okay, that's good. I approve. That, that works. That works. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the reason I watch. You're gonna love this. Um, the reason I watch HBO. I, I would say HBO Go. I have not had any any stream failures on HBO Go with Game of Thrones. I watched the entire last season of uh, Game of Thrones on HBO Go, and I think the previous season. And the reason that I do it is because um, the full HD version on my local cable system is the Pacific feed, which means HBO Go or uh, uh, HBO on in HD shows it at 9 p.m. But at 6.01 p.m., 9 Eastern, <laughs> the episode drops on HBO Go. And so I can just watch it. So I can watch it three hours earlier than they would otherwise give it to me by watching yeah, it on can, streaming. You can pretend you live in the one true time zone. I know. It's, it's, uh, I'll tell you, John, I'm a big believer in the West Coast. But the one place where the West Coast really lets you down is the inability to watch shows um, there are all these, like the podcasts I do about like, that are the flashcasts that are right after a show airs. Those are all shows that I, that are available, uh, that air somewhere where I can, where I can watch it or get it in advance <laughs> because, um, like network shows, I, I can't do it. The, the people I know, the TV critics I know who live in the West coast have like a, um, either have a, uh, like a waiver for like direct TV to show East coast channels, or they've got like a sling box in New York at the corporate office in New York that lets them watch the shows because there are all these sort of like, uh, you know, shows on at eight o'clock Eastern and you can't wait three hours and then watch it and then write about it. If you're, if that's your job. Um, so that's, a, that's the thing where the West coast is way behind, but HBO lets me, lets me do that, which is really nice. And actually uh, my cable company does that. They've got a bunch of like live TV channels that are the East coast feeds. So if I, if I really want to see something, you have to watch it with commercials if it's a commercial channel, but you can get some of those as well. But yeah, it's hard out here. We, uh, the world is not made for Pacific time sad yeah, all, all that said about the tivo i do hope the tivo stays in business yeah, and no makes kidding. new non makes new non-bent tivo boxes because i will keep buying them for as long as yeah. television is a thing and it is still a thing the, I, the thing know, that I, i'm I, dreading is that comcast so i'm a comcast subscriber um for lots of reasons uh i, I did direct tv for a while and it was fine but I, I was happy to go back when they came out with the tivo romeo i was like this is the time i'm gonna go i'm gonna switch to comcast is at some point here they're gonna have they're going to start rolling out like real HD, like real 4K channels in a way that they rolled out HD channels way back when. It hasn't happened yet. There are a very small number and you, you know, they, they did the World Cup last summer in, in 4K, but it was only on one satellite provider and AT and T only had it with their like, or Comcast only had it with their special DVR that, that, and it was all a day later. It was really bad. But at some point that the log jam is going to break and everybody's going to start doing 4K channels 
and that's the moment where i'm going to be like all right i gotta get a new tivo now i guess well, the, the best thing then is we'll have three layers of tivo menus the standard def menus yes. the hd menus and the 4k, and the 4K menus, 4K menus. Yeah, and, and for like great. five years the only menu that will be 4k is the home screen yeah no i, I really do wish them luck although <laughs> all that said again getting back to the graph things like graphing the performance of ios devices versus max if i graph the number of shows that i watch like my top 10 or top 20 shows like ranked by how much i care about them uh they used to all be on television and then all of a sudden here comes this line that's like shows that are not on tv right shows that are netflix originals shows that are hulu originals shows like and it just starts crawling up right and i don't know if they've crossed yet or whatever but the tv line is going down right so at a certain point the tv line goes down to the point where it's like i don't need a cable subscription anymore because all the television shows that i care about are not on quote-unquote television i'm not there yet but i look at the trends and i'm like that that could be my future when that future happens i won't need tivo anymore yeah. but it's not it's not today so i hope tivo stays in business and i will continue to pay them I, i'd pay them so much money they have no idea how much money i'd pay for new tivos i already spend like a thousand dollars in each tivo i get because i get the lifetime right. thing and i buy their fanciest box but i really hate that bent thing i bought one don't get me wrong i bought one but i hate it and i want them to come up with a new non-bent box that is quieter and more powerful yeah i have the non-bent uh tivo romeo and i'm gonna hang on with that to that as long as i can but hopefully there will be another generation box down the road that i can i can get to replace it and i'm 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 there with you i as a sports guy um it's extremely impractical to cut the cord you you know i would need to immediately then subscribe to one of these over-the-top services that has uh the sports stuff that i need on it and at this point, I, I, I kind of like, yes, when when my shows are in season and they're piling up on my TiVo hard drive, it makes me happy. Um, I have uh, one other topic to talk to you about, and then we'll do some Ask Upgrade as well. But first, let me tell you about our final sponsor on this episode. It's Luna Display. Have you ever looked at your iPad and wished you could use it as a second display from your Mac? Luna Display lets you do it. I, I, I bought one. I got, I have two now. I have two Luna displays. I love it so much. One for my old systems uses mini display port and another one for my new systems, USB-C. It's amazing. Uh, your iPad already has a beautiful retina display and you can always use some extra space when working from your Mac. Or if you've got an older iPad, uh, you know, it may not even have a retina display, but it's another display. And if it's in a drawer somewhere, especially you could repurpose it, turn it into a Mac monitor. Luna Display provides crystal clear image quality, reliable performance, and wireless flexibility. Pop a little piece of hardware into your Mac, and you're good to go. And if you don't have access to a Wi-Fi connection, no worries. You can connect via USB as well. When using Luna Display, you can set up your workspace anywhere you want to go. Be more productive at the office, in the studio, or on the go. Back when I was working at IDG, one of the things that frustrated me is that I traveled with my 11-inch MacBook Air, and I really wanted a second display. And this setup today would be super easy because I could just use Luna Display with my iPad. And now I would have two screens on the go. You get more screen real estate without buying a new screen. And who is traveling? With, you're not going to travel with like an external display when you're going into a hotel room or something like that. But you've got your iPad with you. It's perfect. Luna is a complete extension to your Mac. It's going to support your external keyboard. It's going to support your Apple Pencil and touch interactions. So you can actually use touch to interact with your mac with just the swipe of a finger super easy to set up works great 
Uh, I've used it wired and wireless. If you're on a a good Wi-Fi network, wireless is not a problem. But uh, you can also just set it up to use it wired, and then you don't have to worry about it at all. And I was able to use the full Retina display on my iPad Pro next to my iMac and have a little uh, like calendar display off to the side. It was really cool. And for travel... I, I just cannot tell you how much I would have used this product back in the days where I was doing a lot of corporate travel because I had my little laptop screen and I always brought my iPad with me and letting them work together so that I could have more screen real estate. Just, yeah, absolutely. I want to do that. I want to go to there. Listeners of Upgrade can get an exclusive 10% discount on Luna Display. Just go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code UPGRADE at checkout. That's lunadisplay.com, promo code UPGRADE at checkout. Thank you to Luna Display for supporting Download and all of Relay FM. All right, John, before we go to Ask Upgrade, I wanted to talk to you about... Basically, I want you to fact check me. I want you to, I want you to throw a splash of cold water on some of my crazy ideas. Can you do that yeah. for me? Go for it. All right. The one that I keep coming back to is the external display thing. And this is, I I admit that this is kind of a dumb idea. And yet I also think it's kind of a brilliant idea, which is if Apple's going to make external displays, what about touchscreens? Like this is, this is my counter to the whole Surface Studio argument, which is what if Apple made a a USB-C 4K touchscreen that if you plug it into a Mac, it's just a screen. But if you plug it into an iPad Pro, it's, it becomes a giant iPad Pro, 24-inch or whatever iPad Pro. Is that is that a, a, a wacky idea? Is that an unlikely idea? What do you think? I seem to recall reading on Twitter from one of the uh, tech nerds who dives into the uh, the guts of <laughs> Steve Apple's Steve operating system. Yeah, Cam or it might have been. Yeah, yeah, or, or, yeah there's a, some other person who goes by the uh, handle Longhorn that I've been following uh. on Twitter. Anyway, what, but... but uh, it might have been them, might have been somebody else. Talking about how the capabilities to have external touchscreens, there's nothing really preventing that, technically speaking, in terms of, you know, the connection and the APIs and the protocols, like, that it, that it ought to work. It ought, it ought to be a thing that you could do. Um, as for the usefulness of that, I've been a long-time proponent of much, much bigger iPads. Before they even went 12-inch, I was asking for bigger iPads. When the 12, 12.9-inch came out, I'm still asking for bigger iPads. Before the Surface Studio, I'm all in on big iPad. One way to get that, a, a semi-reasonable way, to have an external screen, it bypasses a lot of the concerns because you're like, who's going to buy something like the Surface Studio? Just ask Microsoft, probably not that many people because... It's like, well, it's not a super high-powered PC, but I also can't pick it up and use it as a tablet. If you have it as an external display, you're like, well, my iPad is my iPad, but I sort of dock it. This is a a well-known pattern that we have where you have something small and portable like your laptop or your duo dock or whatever. And when you sit down at your desk, you get a bigger, richer experience than when you get up, you take it with you. I think that's perfectly feasible and would would be great. And Apple could do a really cool product like that. I'm not sure if Apple will. I yeah. look at the iPad Pro; it doesn't make me think that they're leaning in that direction. Uh, but you know, I, that's that's one way to address this market. Because with Photoshop on the iPad and with the iPad stuck in being a portable product, like for the Surface Studio, seems like it's not a particularly successful product. But I think it proves an approach, like that sort of drafting table, very large display uh you know pencil stylus pen input on a big screen maybe not the big cylinder thing you stuck on the screen that jury's still out of that but that 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 whole idea i think that has legs for sure um as a way to do sophisticated what we can typically think of as personal computer style stuff where you got a full big keyboard and maybe you got a mouse and you've got the pen and you got all that stuff 
Uh, does it have to be related to iOS? Can that be a really fancy touchscreen Mac? Apple's got the whole OS issue to figure out, but I, I don't think external touchscreen is particularly wacky. Um, I think it is one way where they can get to someplace that I think they do need to go. There are other ways they can get there, but that definitely is one way. Right. Well, I mean, one of the other ways to get there is like the Marzipan apps coming over from iOS, which are initially designed with touch in mind and then are presumably retrofitted for traditional mouse and keyboard. You know, you when those apps are around and a part of the Mac platform, I think it open reopens the question about if Macs could accept touch input because then they're a little bit like not quite but a little bit like what microsoft has done on windows where there are some apps that are traditional apps that are really they need to be mouse and keyboard driven and then there are other apps that are more touch friendly apps and that would be another way because my feeling is like ideally you would have the ability to have a big screen and have touch and right now, the way Apple's demarcated the platforms is you can either have uh, a little mobile thing with touch or you can have a big screen, but you can't have both. Like, it, it, And I'm not sure I understand why you can absolutely not have both other than that right now it's sort of like the Mac is reserved for this part and iOS is reserved for this part. But at some point, you'd think that the, that, that the two might come together. And the advantage, by the way, of, of something over the Surface Studio that's that's more like a monitor is that it's not a computer, so you don't need all the guts. You need, you know, weight to hold it on your table, but you don't necessarily need all the computer guts that the Surface Studio has because it's got a whole iMac, essentially, inside it, in that little base that it's got. Um, yeah, it's like a do- docking station for your laptop. When you take your laptop away, you're not left with the whole computer. It's just right. the stuff that's on your right. desk that you hook up your laptop So would to. they go the other way, do you think? Would, would they... Would they are they going to go down the path of touch once they've got marzipan apps on on the mac because i think that's one of the great unanswered questions right now is if you've got apps that started as as touch apps and now they're running on the mac it does at least make you it it like opens the door for the question of well why would you not let those macs now have touch screens so those touch apps could still be touched or use the keyboard and mouse. So it, Apple's the, the 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 distinction you just drew of like uh, touch means small and portable, big screen means not touch. Apple draws that distinction, but in the Mac market, that distinction doesn't exist because there are tons of people who work every day on very large light up screens that they touch with a pencil that are bigger than an iPad. That's true. Those very large the Cinti- the you know Cintiq. Wacom Cintiq yeah. tablets, right? That what they see on those screens is a straight up Mac user Absolutely interface. Absolutely, is. is not not yeah. a touch interface, and they no, you touch put, it with the. It's an external monitor, uh, you know. That's how the Mac sees it. It's an ex- it's an external monitor, right. and and they use a stylus, they and do. they're very big, and the interface does not adapt to them. So there is there is absolutely no reason other than Apple not making this product that they couldn't come up with a Mac today aimed at designers that they use an Apple Pencil with that shows a straight up non Marzipan just plain old Mac user interface. Right, Marzipan definitely uh, to your point makes it now you can use something other than the stylus. You can use your finger because Marzipan apps are already designed for those metrics and and it's reasonable to do and presumably. Those Marsban apps, they won't like intentionally regress them by making everything be tiny and require pixel precise tapping or whatever. You know, like if, as long as you don't get rid of the things that make it accessible to touch, it will continue to be accessible to touch. But I, I think there's no problem having an interface that is, you know, a Mac desktop or laptop experience that 
has aspects of the interface that are amenable to touch, probably most of the, the important ones, but that doesn't expect you to have to use touch for everything. There is an expectation that you have some precise pointing device, whether it's a trackpad, a mouse, or a pencil. I think that's a perfectly fine assumption, and I think the, the existence of all the people who using Macs with uh, Stylus today yeah. shows that it's it's not, you know, it's, it's fine. Like, that can be your distinction. Your distinction is... Uh, an iPad or a phone or whatever does not expect or demand that you have a precise pointing device, and a Mac does expect or demand that you have a precise pointing device. But it doesn't mean you can never touch your Mac screen or you can never touch, you know. So I, I think some sort of non-religious hybrid arrangement is definitely possible on the Mac, and hopefully we'll get there eventually. Yeah, hopefully. We'll, we'll see. I, I feel like that is another one of those cultural things where there's some interesting baggage inside Apple um, and Apple overrides that all the time. I mean, I, I feel like some some culture is probably internal to Apple, and some culture is is external to Apple. And that's all the people who you know were talking about how there would never be a, a stylus for an iOS device because Steve Jobs made that line that is totally misinterpreted because it was about requiring a stylus. Um, but that was you know there everybody's got their taboos, and then sometimes the world changes and you need to say oh that taboo doesn't make sense anymore yeah they got that pro workflow group which hopefully has some of the people who have Cintiqs and like huh this is interesting yeah. why do you have this gigantic screen mm-hmm. that you stare at all day instead of looking at your actual max monitor and you're using a pen on it hmm how does that work for you it's like we've been doing this for years yeah. get with the program maybe you can make us something that would help with this well and and i think the logical thing when photoshop is on the ipad at um at a 12.9 inch screen is that people are going to end the 11 and they're going to use them and they're going to be like, wow, this is great. You know, what would be greater be better if it's a bigger screen. Yeah. Yeah. That, like that, that is going to be one of the very first things that happens when Photoshop is on the, the iPad. Pro. Right. It's got already, be, it's already happening yeah. with like affinity and sure. other applications, sure. but it's just know? all those people who are, who are going to come over people, uh, you know, who are artists who have to use Photoshop because it's the, it's the workflow for their industry. And there are lots of them. A lot, a lot of people I hear from who are like, why don't you just use affinity photo or something? It's like, well, if your industry, it's, just like writers like if you're if you're a, a novelist your stuff's going to end up in word i'm sorry it's going to oh, end up so terrible. it's going to end up in final word. draft for for scripts there's, right? there's yeah like there are standards and photoshop is a standard and there are features that are only available in photoshop and i've talked to artists about it and so they're going to be really thrilled it's like finally i can use my ipad for not just noodling around or doing sketches but i can do my whole job i've got my photoshop files i got my layers and all that and then the then then like 10 minutes later it's going to be like yeah i need a bigger one of these now and what is that? Maybe it's a maybe it's an external display with with touch. Who knows? So that they can work on that thing at their desk at an easel or something like that, kind of uh, form factor, and then walk away, unplug, and they've got their thirteen inch display or eleven inch display that they can go. They can go. Well, we'll see. Uh, Want to do some ask upgrade? I am ready. Okay. Here we go. PK13 wrote in to say, how does John... See, I told people you were going to be on the show. How does John feel about the new iPad Pros? The last time I checked, he had not gone to an Apple store to check. Is there any update there? I still have not been to an Apple store to see them. I was in Costco, and they had a big display of iPads, all the old ones. Oh. So I still haven't seen one in person. How do I feel about them? I think they're awesome. I would love one. I'm not sure I'm going to buy one because I'm not sure I actually need one. Right. Okay. Um some conversation that I've seen, and this is a Steve Trouton Smith thing. I think that I, I saw him talking about it too. Um, there are uh, so you use are famous <laughs> in some circles for having a lot of browser tabs open. I have I never have browser tabs open. Uh, I, I browser tabs just live and die, and browser windows live and die for me. But but I I'm also not a web developer. Um, 
there are conversations out there about how like Microsoft is doing tab sets. And I think the Fuchsia thing that is being developed by Google also has this kind of concept. The, the idea that maybe the future of multitasking and app switching is tabs. Like the Windows 10 stuff, the idea there is that you can have a tab set and it's got different apps in the tabs. So you can have the same window, window from the same app and other apps, and they're just grouped together as a set. Um, as a tab person, do you think that that's an interesting way forward in terms of like uh, multitasking and windowing on especially like touch devices? So windowing, windowing on iOS devices has always been in kind of in an uncomfortable spot, like the 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 beautiful simplicity of the original iPhone and the single thing taking up the whole screen. It was just such a clean model. And now we've dirtied that model up by bringing in the ugly reality of multitasking and attempting to divide our ever larger screen into different regions. The thing about tabs though, is that like in sort of the, the natural hierarchy of how you can divide up this, this real estate. Um, so you've got the entire screen, and then I've, in the traditional paradigm, within the screen, you have windows. And then within the windows, you have tabs. Uh, and the, the Windows 10 thing of the tab sets of sort of inverting that, sort of like a Safari Forest toppy tabs that uh, Stephen Hack was mentioning today, um, right. to say, no, 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 ta- it's not screen window tab, it's screen tab window. And that tabbing is actually a way to arrange windows. Right thing is there there's there's a lot of gymnastics going on in ios for a good reason but still gymnastics to avoid having windows because people are terrible at managing windows it's a thing you want to avoid and yet windows are incredibly useful uh and so you get to split and maybe you get to tab and maybe you get to rearrange i'm not entirely convinced based on my personal experience that people are any better at managing tabs than they are at managing windows uh, I think they are better at managing splits because it's a simpler model, right? It's not, you know, but tabs, uh, you know, we don't know. We're just speculating about it in implementation. But tabs as we know them gives people more than enough rope to hang themselves. I posted to a Slack that I think we were both on that uh, a screenshot from a coworker's computer. Like, oh, yeah. Just incidental. Like they share they share their screen as part of like a meeting and they're showing you something. And then I inevitably look up at their at the, the, the browser Chrome and... They have so many tabs open that everyone is only visible as a tiny little icon mm-hmm. in Chrome. Just so many tabs. And it came up in the chat. For all the tabs that I put, I've never done that because I I manage my tabs and windows in a hierarchy in that sort of my windows are all, you know, for my browser windows are kind of proportioned like sheets of paper. And within that, there's a limited number of tabs. But I wouldn't just keep cramming them in and cramming them in. And yet every time I see someone's computer... Uh, at work or in real life who uses tabs either they don't use tabs at all or they have all the tabs like just tons of tabs and tabs where they're totally useless where you can't tell what they are where it's the same site icon a million times in a row or it's like google docs google docs sheets sheets docs docs sheets 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 to google you know whatever it is that they're doing maybe there's a theme maybe there's not maybe there's 75 tabs open in amazon and all you can yeah. see is the amazon logo like your screenshot by sure. the way has 62 tabs <laughs> i just can't <laughs> And and this is not like a power user no. or some supercomputer nerd. It's just somebody, just a random person at work who I don't even remember if they were in the engineering department. Like this is this is what happens when you give people tabs as a means to control things. And the same thing with Windows. Like if you give people Windows, they don't know what to do with them. There's too much freedom, right? <laughs> um, now all that said. It doesn't mean the way Apple implements tabs has to be the way Chrome implements tabs. You can be much more limited. They implement 
splitting in a very limited way that keeps you from having a hundred things right so maybe you can have four tabs or five and you avoid this problem and maybe they make a way to rearrange them that is more intuitive than browser tabs and you know you have to deal with accidentally closing them and you know there's lots of issues involved i think it could be a reasonable next step uh in dealing with uh screen real estate but i also think that collectively we as humans have not yet come up with a good solution for how to manage information on a two-dimensional display uh i think the mac interface or the you know the classic mac interface and you know various various things in, in the pc world have come close to coming coming up with some very good solutions for extremely sophisticated technical users whether it be like x windows heavily customized or a mac with a million extensions or whatever or the way i use my computer which is not the way i expect most people to use computers that those capability the capabilities exist allow people to work in very sophisticated ways but very few people and that's not a good technical solution the beauty of the iphone is that they let essentially anybody be successful with a with a phone that was really a little computer right we don't have that solution for dealing for doing more than one thing at a time on a screen period full stop i don't expect apple to come up with that solution miraculously especially not on the ipad all we're hoping for now is give us a little bit of the freedom that we experience on the desktop which is itself i think kind of stuck in a rut in terms of how it deals with windows and it could do much better uh without making giving users enough uh again enough rope to hang themselves um so i i think it would be a nice addition and i think people especially ipad power users are sick of being limited in the ways that multitasking limits them and so i would mostly give that feature a thumbs up but i do not think it is not an end state i I don't think it's it's not really a solution it is just another another stopgap on the road to coming up with uh, something that at least lets us use iPads in as sophisticated a manner as we use desktop computers mm-hmm. while also not making them as big a mess as desktop computers. Tall order, I know. Yeah, that is. Well, we can dream. Aaron wants to know, on an infinite time scale, both the iPhone and the Apple Watch will stop being produced. Which will stop being made first, the iPhone or the Apple Watch, and why? Well, that's tricky. Um, well, will will humans uh, humans will have evolved past the need for 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 arms? <laughs> the thing the, th- the thing about the wear thing about the watch is that it's not like it is a technology product, but there's also a fashion aspect. Yeah. So if you fast forward really far with the technology, I think they will diverge from each other. Like you'll be able to make such an amazing watch eventually that fulfills all the jobs of of an Apple Watch. Uh, which are limited, as we've learned. Like, people aren't going to be using really complicated applications on a tiny little screen. It's mostly just going to do the stuff it does now, but be smaller and cooler looking and have one or two more features and be much lighter and, uh, you know, be on all the time and battery lasts forever, blah, blah, blah. I feel like the watch line will slide off in that direction to the point where it doesn't matter whether or not the phone exists, like that they're, they're divergent. But I think the only reason Apple would stop making the watch is because... It just becomes uninteresting, technologically speaking. Uh, whereas the phone, I feel like the phone has longer legs and will be more interesting technologically for longer than the watch. So if I had to put money on one, I'd put it on the phone. Yeah, I agree with you for, for much the same reason. I think at some point, the need to embed tech in a thing that's on your wrist will, the you know, like the advantages of that will go away because that tech will be elsewhere. 
and then putting something on your wrist will kind of recede back into being yeah, it'll be less of apple's core competency it's like well if it really becomes more of a pure fashion play because the tech is is no longer interesting that's not really apple's yeah. forte uh last question this is from capula uh there's a knock at your door it's eddie q you can have the new mac pro to review three months prior to the announcement under embargo or you can have any Ferrari you want to drive for three hours. You must choose, but choose wisely. Uh, the, the way this question is formulated it doesn't make it a difficult choice at all. Three hours is not a long time, and I would be terrified <laughs> of messing up a car. Three months is a long time. I would take the Mac Pro in a second. Right. Three hours? You can you'd hardly be able to get over my nerves at driving the thing in three hours. So what if Eddie Q says, okay, uh, how, long, how long do you want to have this Ferrari so that I don't give you this Mac Pro. Uh, if it was also three months and those three months were in the summer uh, and I didn't have to work, I would take the Ferrari. All right. Okay. Yeah, who needs that? Also, Mac I don't Pro? have to pay for any damage to the car. Yeah, right. I, I think that's embedded in the question, of course. Okay. Like, I mean, he's going to give you the car to drive. Yeah. Yeah. You know. All right. Well, that's good. John. But Eddie, you know, you can always bring both. You <laughs> Sure. Actually, that's the, the reveal, of course, is that the Mac Pro is in the trunk of the car. So, you know, just pull it out of there. And then Eddie speeds off down the down the street, and you're left with your Mac Pro for for three months. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, John, thank you so much for being on Upgrade. I I like to have you uh, have you visit from time to time. Uh, it's fun. You and I talk about lots of things that aren't computers on podcasts, and uh, and aren't robots and our movies and things like that and like i said i listen to you talking about this stuff every week on atp and i talk about it every week here but it's fun to talk about it with you so thank you for being on i always enjoy our visits especially when i can talk to someone who uh is closer to the same age and has all the same weird old apple mac i remember the old times i remember the old times we're we're the best Stephen hackett just did a thing where he was posting about oh here's this interesting apple event and it was the event where they did the ipod (laughs) hi-fi and and uh and what i didn't say on twitter i was like we should you know he and i should do a like old times podcast someday of like apple history before i forget all these things but what i didn't say is that was a terrible event (laughs) it was a disaster (laughs) on all fronts it was should not have ever been called it was like here's our hundred dollar leather ipod case and here's the ipod hi-fi enjoy everybody and then there was a weird demo room where they had like a fake dorm room set up like a set from a movie uh, that you could wander in and it was super creepy but uh from steven's perspective it was like oh i found this youtube video of this weird <laughs> apple event it's interesting like i was there it was not interesting it's only interesting in hindsight deep deep hindsight so yeah it's nice to to talk about the old times we can we talk about uh system 6.0.8 sometime i don't know Oh, yeah. Good times. Good times. Well, I want to thank not only John, but our sponsors, Away, Pingdom, and Luna Display. You can find me, uh, Jay Snell, on Twitter. You can find John at Syracusa. That's S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A, Syracusa, on Twitter. And we will be back next week. Mike will return from his brutal assignment. Uh, remember to vote in the Upgradies. And, of course, listen to John on his podcast, Accidental Tech Podcast, Reconcilable Differences, and Robot or Not. And he's also on The Incomparable a lot with me. So you should listen to that, too. And uh, until next week, say goodbye, John Syracuse. Goodbye, John Syracuse. Ah.